Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin, here with Miguel once again. Say hello, Miguel. Uh, hello, hello, I'm here. I missed you guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm back with my good friend, the architect, Graham Irwin, who we share a last name. So we got the Irwin duo here. Graham, welcome. Thank you. I think, I think on that, I think we're... Uh, the extent of our relation being related probably goes back to some bog in Scotland or Ireland, uh, but yeah. somewhere my family definitely has Scot- Scottish roots. Uh, right. I mean, but I don't think we're closely related. It was yeah, probably, no. probably digging through a bog the last time yeah. we were like direct relatives or whatever. But that's that's you guys related to the Irwin tools. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, not that I know of, and not yeah. financially. Not, not that I know of either. People have asked me that. I'm like, no, I, that's, I wouldn't be in here buying one of those tools <laughs> if I were related closely to them. Someone else would be using it for me, right? So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm here with my bog brother, Graham, and uh, <laughs> we have a good topic for you guys today. I'm really excited to unpack this one with Graham. So we're going to start with a question, and the rest of the podcast is about answering it. Pretty simple question. How do architects have skillful and effective client communications regarding sustainability? So I'll read it one more time and then we'll just dig in, Graham. How do architects have skillful and effective client communications regarding sustainability? So as the host, Graham, I'm going to start out with probably one of the harder questions. In that sentence, it ends with the word regarding what ends with the word sustainability, regarding sustainability. What does that mean to you? in that context, or, or more specifically, excuse me one second, how do you explain that word to clients? Yeah, I, it's a, or both. What does it mean to you? How do you explain it? Yeah, please. It's a tricky word. And I, and I hesitate with it a little bit and I, because I've heard, I don't have a good substitute for it, but I've heard what I think is legitimate critique of that term, you know, sustainability meaning that that you're is there anything truly sustainable about construction you know i mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. i mean you're the one taking me down this road and i don't know how you get <laughs> off of it i will i think we'll come back to that but you focus so specifically on that word um it, yeah it's not a word i I guess I don't use it too much. I'm a little okay. sort of like the regenerative idea. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know how much, you know, it's not sexy to talk about harm reduction, I guess, but, mm-hmm. um, and people do need somewhere to live. So I don't, you know, I don't stay up at night suffering guilt over it, but I'm also a little cagey about telling people that, oh, yeah, you, like this building that you're creating is making the earth better than it was before. Um, yeah. I think maybe I've already said too much. 
No, that's like I, I'm with you, Graham, 100 percent. You know, not that long ago, it used to be called the S word. Like you didn't even want to bring it up right? because it could polarize and you could see the doors slam shut at client meetings. And now it's no longer the S word. In fact, it's everywhere. And so it's almost like greenwashing or sustainable washing. And yet the reality is that what we're doing is harm reduction. When we say sustainable, what we mean is like it's less unsustainable than what we've been doing. By orders of magnitude. By yes. And we can do tremendous good, right? So before we go on past sustainable, like a simple answer would be build passive house, fully electrified, grid interactive, right? Okay. Then you've done, you've taken leaps and bounds, major steps forward for society with that home. Yep. And I would say so, add, add some please. water, add some water consciousness to that mm -hmm. in the West, right? Yeah. And, and make really good material choices. Yeah. So low carbon, energy, water, resilient. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of harm reduction, it's more than harm reduction for the people that are living. You know, now I'm talking back against myself, but that's okay. And that's going to happen here. Um, it's more, much better than harm reduction for the people living in the building. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's healthy. You know, I mean, it sure, certainly is harm reduction compared to what people are exposed to in typical buildings, but it's much more than that. It's a, it's a healthy environment for, for people. And I'm being a person myself. I'm certainly find that idea appealing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Encaps or trying to be encapsulated in the term sustainable or sustainability is healthy, comfortable, quiet. So high indoor environmental quality low carbon, low resource and um, energy flows, water resilient, energy resilient, grid interactive, bomber enclosure, all that. And I think within that context, it's a reasonable shorthand in, in 2023. I totally agree. Like if, if we get to the point where that is, that needs to be enhanced, we're in a very good place, right? Like it was mm -hmm. like, oh, we've all, we've done all we can with Passive house, uh, water-wise, good good material choices, um, all electric, grid connected. You know, we've done all we can with that. We've wrung that sponge. Well, you know what? We're way beyond where we are now, and I that probably is enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit out of my purview, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm really glad we unpacked that because I actually I want to come back to your purview because. Really, the reason that you're on here is because of a, a FIAS seminar I watched you do where you basically are delivering the, it was the remodel of the future today, where that client was uh, net positive, including, or very close to net zero, including transportation. Actually, where was that client? How'd that remodel go? Uh, I think it's the house in Sunnyvale you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. So they're a young couple and it was their first home. And it was a mid-century modern, they called it kind of a fake Eichler. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, <laughs> wasn't, a, wasn't a great building, uh, kind of interesting form. Uh, and the whole neighborhood had been built like that. But they, you know, it was largely original. I think it had a, someone had put a sun porch on one side of it and they made the back of the garage into a 
bathroom and a laundry room so you couldn't really fit a car in the garage anymore. But anyway, really uncomfortable summer and winter and original single pane windows and all the rest. And like cars, loud cars would come down the street and rattle everything inside. <laughs> no, you know, really poor ventilation, really dark and cramped inside. And, and you know, they came to us um, and we pretty much rebuilt it. I mean, it, it got expanded. I think it was about 1,200 square feet, and it went up to about 18. Um, Three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath in that space, which I, I think is pretty efficient use of that, that much yes. square footage. I mean, we couldn't – their budget didn't allow a second story, and that would have meant replacing the entire foundation, so we didn't do that. Um, lot was pretty small. So we went, you know, we went to the extent of the lot lines on the sides, didn't really go back because we didn't want to eat the whole backyard. So we did what we could in the space and, um, it, it's really bright, you know, really nice, bright space. A number of people have commented that it feels much larger than its square footage would be. And it, it's just a delight, I think. And it's having really good energy performance. Having crazy good energy performance. So I, you know, it was finished in 2021. They moved in, I think, in May. And so it was kind of like, you know, you just, you're busy and gets off your radar screen. But I decided to present it. You know, I, I just love Passive House Accelerator. And I wanted to talk about something like, hey, I should talk about this project. And so I reached out to the client, homeowner, to ask, you know, what, tell me about your utility bills. And he, he's geeked out really hard on that more than I knew, but he, you know, they moved in, moved in May of 2021. He wanted a year of utility bills to figure out how to size his solar system, right? He didn't want it to be too big or too small. So that took right. a year. <clears throat> and I think there were some permitting issues around the batteries that they put in the house. And so it took a bit longer and the short and long of it was, it really, it got his, their, their uh, PV with battery system only got grid connected like at the very end of last year. So I had data for the first four months of the year. And so January, February, March, right? With three of the highest energy using months of the year, because it's also when solar's at a minimum and heat is at a maximum. So all electric house and charging two Teslas, their bills average $20 a month. And 11 of that is the connection charge. Right. Right. That's insane. Then That's so April, in April, their bill was negative 67. So oh, it took all that away. It took it all away in April. Right. And, and again, we haven't seen the full year yet, but kind of, I think things are more or less symmetrical around December, right? So I can, I can project that October, November, December will be pretty much like January, February, March, meaning September will pay for October, November, December. And so it basically means May through August, the highest solar output of the year. Making is, money. Is bon well, it's bonus, right? The poor yeah. guy actually oversized his system if he were just trying to break even. And a lot of that 
I think has to do with the fact that the batteries have made his own harvest much more efficient than mm -hmm. it would be if it were just a grid-tied thing. But yeah. it's but the house is basically independent of the grid for six months of the year, which is pretty yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Right. And and our utility, we didn't used to think much about cost here, but our utility bills have gone up a lot. So yeah. people are, you know, people are starting to notice that. And again, that's not the primary motivator, but it, it does grab people's attention and it matters. So I'm happy to talk about it. But yeah, yeah, I think, exactly. I, I think please. to reel back to your original question and what I really wanted that's to say I before I sidetracked myself on semantics. <laughs> I think the appropriate, did you, what was, did you ask, what was the, what were the adjectives you applied to this discussion? I had to be what? Skillful and effective. Skillful and effective, yes. Skillful and effective communication. So mm -hmm. I believe to be effective, you need to speak to people's emotions, like connect mm -hmm. with them emotionally and speak to their emotions. And doing that is being skillful about it. And it also, because psychology tells us, right, people make decisions based on emotion and justify with logic. So connecting with them, trying to connect with them logically only goes so far. You know, people, it's, it, well, and we've talked about this before, right? Like the whole spinach thing, right? Like who, who doesn't recognize that eating spinach is healthy, right? If you want a long life, Eat more spinach. We know this, right? Okay, well, who doesn't want, I mean, most people want a long life, so why aren't people eating as much, you know, a lot more spinach? Because it's, you know, especially like in the can or whatever, it's just glop. It's green glop. So trying to sell people green glop, how are you going to do that if they don't like it? Even if you argue, and I'm, I'm going to sort of project back and forth between this and maybe building performance or whatever. Oh, I can do it at 10% more. Okay, here. You want the green glop? It's only 10% more than the food you'd really like. How's that? <laughs> oh, only 5% more. Oh, 0% more. It's the same price. You can have the food you like or the green glop. Which one do you want now? You know, or... I'll pay, it'll be 5% cheaper. Okay, how much do you want to be paid to take the green glop versus the food? I mean, it's a losing, it's a losing uh, proposition, right? So you've got to like, maybe move away from the green glop and maybe it's like a kale, an artisan kale salad or something, right? But it's got to be inherently emotionally appealing. Mm -hmm. But yes, I love it. So the reason I asked you to describe that home in Sunnyvale was because that is the answer, right? It's a great enclosure. It's a fully electrified passive house and it performs well. Um, and your clients got it and somehow you talk them into it. So, so that's like the end point. That's where we want to have architects honoring their role power in society and being skillful and effective if leading clients to that end. And my point here is that the word sustainability, I think, causes the mind to kind of glaze over with lack of clarity on what it means. And it's like becomes this you know, unrealistic ideal when, in fact, 
you did it in Sunnyvale and it's happening all over the country right now with fully electrified uh, high performance homes that are green interactive. So uh, it's actually, that's a form of effective altruism in some ways. The fact that this guy oversized his array and has a battery, like pushing that energy back onto the grid. But the, the key, the question then is like, there's this, how do architects have skillful and effective communication, right? That's kind of the center of it. And can you recall on that project, maybe we can use this as a, a litmus test or a case study. Was there some Graham having the vision and needing to communicate it to the client? Did you use emotions? Like you said, how'd that go? Yeah, see, now you're going to, going to catch me. You're going to use my own words against me. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's no, just fine. say I'm, I'm okay, totally okay. fine with it. I, I that was, that was earlier in my, marketing journey this is grammar when being vulnerable here yes. gentlemen ladies yes. and gentlemen it was <laughs> earlier in my marketing journey i was not doing this thing so consciously and mm -hmm. as a result i was not so aware of it um, i they came to me asking about passive house you know that they said they wanted that um, I learned more, you know, I've learned more about them later than I did and than I should have at the time because client was really into this and, you know, is really into this whole energy arbitrage thing, which is cool, right? But they came to me Interesting. interested in it and we spoke through the project and I basically said, hey, you know, if you want to do this at this level of performance, I'm all in, you know, and you, by the way, you can talk to some previous clients of mine. A number of them are very happy to let you visit their house and see it and feel it and experience it. Cause it's kind of, as you know, it's, it, you can describe these things, particularly, particularly like the quiet of a, the interior of a passive house. Um, oh goodness, it's yeah. the piece of that that you can discuss, but you can't really understand unless you experience it. But I, basically, the short and long of it was I said, hey, if you want to do it like this, I'm really interested in working with you. If you don't, I wish you luck, you know, and off you go. And they went and talked to people, and I don't know if they visited, but they came back and said, yes, we want to do this. So I, you know, I... That was the extent of this thing I'm telling everyone they should be doing that I did at that time, which wasn't much. So I, mm -hmm. I, I, I attributed much more to the client's understanding that I was right for them than me understanding that they were right for me. Yeah. Right. That's excellent. So I guess what you're helping us become aware of is that, um, that effective communication starts with storytelling, um, a compelling narrative and, and an emotional narrative, right? You're going to have this fantastic high quality place to live. Um, and you backed it up with data or at least, you know, a, a standard, the passive house standard. And I'm also certain knowing you that there was empathy happening, that there was um, skillful, maybe automatic or, um, you weren't thinking of it, but nonverbal communication was happening well. The timing, what you say when, you know, adapting your conversation to what you're hearing. So a lot of these principles of effective communication broadly applies here, but really the fundamental one is 
telling a, a compelling story that connects to them emotionally? I'm going to say yes, but. Okay. I think. How about yes and? Yes and. Sure. Yes and. Um, the and is listening and asking effective questions. Beautiful. And because the story, the story is not my story. It's their story, right? It's, it's like they're the, they're the center of the story, right? I'm, right? I'm the facilitator of that, but the story is their story. No one's coming. It's such a precious thing, right? Like I, I, I was thinking like, what, how do people, when, when they approach you, what, where are they? I mean, this is such a precious thing. They're your home or one's home. Yeah. It means so much. And it's really, you talked about vulnerability with me. I mean, there's nothing more, or there are things perhaps more vulnerable than that, but this is a very vulnerable place to be like, putting one's hopes and dreams out there for someone and, and, you know, are they even listening? Are they hearing you? Or do you, are you going to get this despite this, you know, or am I going to get lucky and wind up with what I want despite not entirely being heard or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of projecting what, what people might right. be looking at, you know, maybe they're like, Oh, well, this architect seems to do this kind of work. And I the type of work that they do, seems like something I would like. So perhaps my dream is safe, even though it's not being explicitly, uh, I've done a rhyme, I guess, explicitly solicited. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> right? But I mean, they, I think people have a right to expect that people should be trying to hear them and giving them a place to talk about what they want. But also framing that, right? Like, I mean, you don't expect people to come to you with clarity of what their home should look like, but they come to you with emotional touch points, right? Things that are inspiring to them, things that they feel they need, information about how they live, information about what they'd like to avoid. Mm -hmm. All of these things kind of go into this. And a lot of it is like kind of counseling and psychology, really. Like, yeah. To get that. Because how can you design a home for somebody without that? I mean, I could design a home for anybody at any time. I don't even need to know who they are or where they're. I mean, I could just design a house. I dream up houses in my mind all the, you know. <laughs> I, but it's not relevant. It's not a, someone's home unless those people are somehow included in that consideration and that design. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're kind of splitting on the rational relational aspect of us being humans, us being mammals, you know, or um, the relationality is what I was hearing. When, when I was saying empathy, I was including listening, but I realized no empathy is, is deeper. It's you're considering the, the underlying feelings and thoughts and perspectives of what you're hearing. And, when you then communicate back, um, you know, listening is a communication. It's a two-way process that here's what I heard, you know, confirming what you heard. It's really building trust and, and mutual respect. 
So there's all these sort of nonverbal things too, right? Your body language and expressions, tone of voice, gestures, like you're nodding right now, but those of them, those people listening can't see that. <laughs> but the tone of voice, I think when we communicate, it's clear that we have mutual trust and respect for each other. And that's why we were able to be vulnerable in these uh, conversations. So it's interesting though, you told that story and uh, the Sunnyvale couple, they went away, they came back and when they went away, you didn't know that they would come back. So you were being vulnerable. You're being open and putting your values on the table. And yeah, I think that's just something, something to be learned there about skillful and effective communication for sustainable homes. Well, I think, I think you're right. And I think it's important that you're doing work you want to do as mm -hmm. well as you doing work that the client wants you to do. I love it. It has to be both because otherwise what's the point and how can one how can one do one's best if you're not doing work that you want to do so it's it, it is it, yeah it's about relationships and it's about ensuring that everyone that the work that is being done is work that everyone wants to do because it's a mm -hmm. long-term thing right it's it's a couple of years if it's a day and it's yeah thing right and it's not say it's not buying you know i mean the, it's not buying a home it's procuring procuring really a series of services from different people including for example mechanical consultants as you asked at the beginning um, it's engaging people to provide a service which will end up with you having a home Let's just unpack that briefly, and then I, I know where I want to take this to sure. move forward. But I'm glad you do. I have no idea. I'm just oh yeah, we're good. Um, so this 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 idea that uh, okay, let me just uh, everyone listening and Graham. I think Graham and I talked about this a little bit, but where this podcast comes from is two places. One is lots of positive feedback on the previous discussion we had, Graham, and two lots of questions from architects that we work with and architects that we we know saying, I'm ready to change my practice. How do I do it? How do I get to build these really high quality, high performing homes? My clients aren't asking for them. And then the sub question is, how do I get to hire the consultants I want? How do I get to have these other consultants on my team? And what they're doing is they're asking their clients, is it okay if I bring in uh, you know, this structural engineer, this mechanical engineer, this landscape architect? Instead of, in my opinion, instead of being in that role of the architect, which is to establish tr empathetic trust and respect with the client and then tell the client, I am going to select the appropriate constellation of partners I need for this project. I think I, and I'm trying to keep hold this thought in my head, but I think there's two pieces there that you're asking about. And I'll go to the second one first, because that's what you just said. I think the second one is about trust. Mm -hmm. I, if you're saying, may I do this, you know, I, can I hire this person or not? It's, there's, there's an uncertainty there. Mm -hmm. It may be a necessary uncertainty, but ideally, if you're in a position of trust with the client, the client's looking to you to let them know what it is you, you, you know, what you believe is necessary. Yeah. 
and they're going to trust what you say. Okay, so that's trust. What we're the doing. first piece of that in terms of getting to do this, how do I, my clients aren't interested, how do I get to do this kind of work, also goes back to what you're saying about the story, right? And I believe that, I believe that almost all human communication is in the form of a story. I, again, I'm an amateur, I guess that's anthropology, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, I think we just process in stories. And so absolutely, the easy answer is you need to be telling that story in a way that people can connect with it. So, Which might mean in a way that it connects to you. It, it absolutely does. Because if it does not connect to you, it can't be compelling to anyone else. Mm -hmm. it, it, there you go. You're, it's just not going to work. You know, and so... Um, and I do a lot of, I've been doing a, probably way too much work on marketing uh, with architecture, but, you know, there's a few folks that I collaborate with and my, my mantra is what story, you know, what is the story you're trying to tell and who are you trying to tell it to? And if yeah. you can't answer those questions, I don't think you can effectively come up, I think all, I think everything springs from that. And like to be effective branding always comes back to those things, you know, and then if we kind of cleave that apart as well, going back to what I said a little bit earlier, it's not ultimately about you as the architect, right? So you come up with this story that has to have you imbued in it, right? Like you want to do this kind of work because it means so much to you personally. That is really important, but the most important, so that, that's a piece of it, right? Like you right. can't have passion for something you're not passionate about. So that's very important, but the most important thing is what will that do for your clients, right? Because they're coming to you to have their own needs met. So. You've got to, it, it, I mean, it's a little bit tricky, but it's not that tricky, right? You've got to come up with what are you passionate about? And then how is that going to help the people you're trying to attract? What, what are you giving to them? What, what desires and needs do they have that you're answering? What problems do they have? What concerns do they have that you're addressing, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, how is it that you're passionate about this as well and what is it about your background and your biography or whatever it is that makes you uniquely equipped to do this? I think that is the perfect, and again, I'm an architect talking about marketing, so take that with whatever grain of salt you like, but that seems to be, <laughs> that seems to be the perfect approach, right? Yeah. So, you know, how do you get people's attention? You tell them a story they you know that they find compelling and they want to hear and that that speaks to whatever it is they're after mm -hmm. yeah but you're not Very you well have said. to do that right like it's like you're not you can maybe have people stumble in that will magically want exactly what you want to do but the answer you know again it's easier said than done about how do you get to do the work you want to do you talk about, you say, I want to do this kind of work, right? You talk about this, the kind of work that I want to do is this, and this is why I want to do it. 
and this is why you want me to do it for you, you know, and actually put it in the reverse, right? Why I want to do it is after this is why you want me to do this for you, but you have to tell that story in a way that is emotionally compelling and logically mm -hmm. justifiable and much more about emotionally compelling, I think. Yeah, this is getting ahead of the subject at hand here. What you're also doing is you're priming the pump to do more of that work in the future. Each successful turn of the wheel with client poises you to do it more a success, another successful lap, and then you get known for it and get asked for it, and you yeah. magnetize. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But you know, going going back to so I'm, like really, and, and this is important to me, like truly important to me as a person and as a professional, is this question that dear friends of mine who are architects ask me with with real soberness, like, how do I go from here to there? And here to there means the traditional practice of architecture, the, the practice of architecture as I learned it, you know, the, the tradition and the history, the architectural pedagogy, um, my current professional identity is, is all those things create this sort of change resistance, right? And yeah. um, I, I feel a little bit awkward about saying that. But you know, tradition and history, and there's there's codes, there's risk and liability, there's all these sort of factors that help architects stay with what they know, even when in their heart of hearts, there's this sense about there is this forward principle in my career, there's this forward principle for my role in society. And I'm not sure how to get from here to there. And somehow you did, or I probably should have asked this before the interview, but did your career evolve or did you just, you know, hatch out of the egg doing passive houses? No, it did not. It didn't start there. Um, it, it got there pretty quickly through a bit Good of for you. dance. Um, Positive happenstance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, some of it's, some of it's luck and being at the right place at the right time. I mean, I, I don't know if we want to get into it. Well, with the right resonance too, right? Yeah, you I'm heard trying to think of how to tell the story quickly. I guess Try I it. heard about passive. I, I was trying to solve this simple problem. And well, this is good, I think. Go for it. When I found out, so back around 2007, you know, I'd been right. doing, I'd been doing construction. I was getting involved in architecture. I had a bachelor's degree in physics, which was just the most convenient way of me transitioning out of engineering and getting a degree. Although that sounds weird. That was the easiest way to finish college. I was very aware that that was about as practical as a bachelor's degree in philosophy. Um, hey, watch but, it, buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, I said practical, and I don't practical meaning like employable, right? There's, I don't have right. judgment on it, but it's not like you don't you don't get a bachelor's in philosophy or a bachelor's in physics and think, well, hey, this is the end of my educational journey in this. That's pretty much right. the beginning of it, right? Uh, anyway, I was trying to solve this problem of like. Why can't I, why cannot, why can't a house be designed that doesn't require fossil fuels? And I don't know if I was quite that, like, clear expressing that, but that was what I was trying to figure out. And so I knew enough, 
had enough physics to like start looking at it. And I would just like, okay, well, putting, you know, and I didn't know, I mean, I also was blessed with some ignorance, right? I didn't, I didn't have a lot of insight into what was happening at the time. I didn't know, I didn't even know there was such a thing as net zero at that time. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it was. I was just like, okay, well, it seems to me like, you know, photovoltaic panels aren't going to work because... The, you know, the house needs a lot of energy for heating, but there's not much solar energy in the winter, which is actually why it needs energy for heating. So it's not like, it's like trying to cure mm -hmm. the symptom with the disease or whatever, right? Like, it's just <laughs> not going to work. It, I didn't know about, like, and I still don't really understand net zero, uh, aside from an accounting thing. Um, as an answer. So I was like, well, that's not going to work. And I was kind of plugging along with various things. And then I heard about Passive House and I went to a uh, presentation about it. And I thought, you know, this seems like it might have potential. And that kind of came and went, but it was stuck in my head. And I was going to these other classes and I was in some other class about ventilation. And I had sort of become this guy that would always ask about Passive House, right? Like there's a, there's a person in the in these <laughs> classes that always sort of asked this same annoying question. It was me. What about past? Especially time? back in the early aughts. Yeah. I mean, no one knew. They, and people would say, oh, I, you know, I don't know about it. I know it's supposed to be some really good European thing, but I don't know anything about it, which of course just served to intrigue me more. Right. So anyway, I was in a class and I asked a question and the instructor asked me a question about the air tightness. Was it ACH 50 or not? And I, am I allowed to go that technical in this pod? Anyway, it was a technical thing about air tightness requirements. And I couldn't remember whether it was 0 0.6 ACH 50 or ACH natural. And so I had a palm trail, you know, to further date this. It was sort of like the pre iPhone, but it had, it had uh, web browsing. And I, and I had seen the Passive House Institute US website and I knew they had the standard on there. So I just navigated there because I had to, I felt the need to confirm whether it was ACH 50 or not. And just trying to find that ACH 50 or not, the day I went on there, it happened to be, they were advertising their first training and it was on the front page. So it was like, oh, this is interesting. It was 2000. Eight, you know, the mortgage meltdown was in full effect. My business had dried up and I just felt really inspired and compelled to learn more about this. And I, you know, kind of talked it over with my wife. And at that point you had to do a three part pilgrimage to Champaign-Urbana, Illinois right. to study this. And I don't remember how you asked me how I, did I come out of this shell? Like that's one of, that's the question I'm answering. So that was, yeah, yeah. you know, journey to passive house architecture. Yeah. That's where it happened. That's how it happened. And it was just, it was literally, you know, I mean, I was looking, I was interested in these topics. I was researching a bunch of stuff. I happened to find this and then I happened to find another thing. And then I went to the, you know, I was willing to do the training and I went to the training and, on and on. So, you know, you can, you can sort of decide where that was, but that was the beginning of that transition. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so it sounds like actually, you know, I, I was, so keep in mind, listeners, I, I'm an engineer and a physicist, Graham, trying to think about this with empathy for the architect's role. And architecture is based on tradition and history, the practice of architecture, the architectural pedagogy, the, the identity you get as a functioning as an architect in society. You know, I mentioned these things, the risks and liabilities of trying things that are new, the codes and regulations. So I'm trying to think about the factors that would hold you stuck in the past as an architect. It sounds like part of the answer is you didn't experience some, some of those, um, but you didn't also discuss, you did go through architecture school, right, Graham? I did that later. Okay. So I uh, just making sure I'm not divulging something here on this. Yeah. I was very no, I'm actually not an architect at all. I, no, I, I, I did go later and I am a licensed architect, but yes, I did not come through it, started it in the traditional way. I was very auto, I, well, I am anyway, I'm very autodidactic. So right. I had the benefit of ignorance combined with a desire to learn. And so I was in a way I had, like I said, I didn't know what net zero was. I didn't know what mm -hmm. beat was. I, I was literally like starting from scratch in my head. I, one, I guess one more thing I find amusing at least. So about this, you know, I went through the photovoltaics aren't going to work. I'm like, oh, well, we need more energy harvesting than that. Solar thermal, nope, still won't work. And then I thought, oh, passive solar. Right? I've got to use passive solar because that's the way to get the most solar energy into the home for heating in the winter. So I'm like, oh, passive solar, that must be the answer. And I, again, this was, there was internet then, but not, not a lot of information. And so I was like checking books out from the library and like reading all these books from the seventies about passive solar. I don't, I didn't, I maybe found one or two about super insulation which is really more, more the passive house thing than the passive solar part. Oh but, my goodness, it's far yeah, more, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I was checking out all these books and, and reading them, and again, like starting from a, it was sort of the thing with construction as well, because I, you know, I, I went to college and studied physics and then later got into construction. So I didn't, I didn't have the, the, oh, why do you do this? Because I didn't have the because, right? I had to sort of almost figure out everything. And when one does that kind of elemental exploration of any field, it doesn't matter whether it's architecture or construction or physics or anything, one can uncover things, right? You, you're you're free of any preconception because you, you don't, you don't have enough basis for, to make a preconception, right? It's all questions at some point. And so, you know, I, am I advocating that? I don't know, but that, you know, that, that probably is part of it. Right. And so I, and I, I think it's important to me to always be at that point of like, I'm always trying to learn. And I think I said, I don't remember where, Somewhere I said a quote once, like, the day I stopped learning things is the day I'm probably lost my value in what I do. Like, as soon as it becomes, I know everything I need to know, or I care to not learn anything more, 
I think that's become maybe not that immediate point, but that's the tipping point toward being irrelevant, which may be what you're kind of talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I'm, I guess I'm speaking to my experience, my direct personal experience of uh, architecture at a crossroads. And it, it shows up often where we'll have a meeting with the principal and the partners and we're the program architects in the, in the room. And then principal and the partners leave and the program architects confide in me, maybe over lunch or something. Gosh, when those principals leave, we're ready to really advance the practice or to move it forward. Um, yeah. And, and they, they complain a little bit about like, um, we're more focused now on architectural expression and program and, and floor plan and what it looks like than we want to be. We want to be really focused on how it functions more. And that is really the, the architecture at a crossroads. And that I feel is from my perspective, that's sort of at the heart of the topic we're talking about today is getting into that functional side of architecture, like, but having it be something that you truly value, that has meaning to you. I don't know how you I'd install that. In different, I take a little bit of a different, I have a bit of a different take on that. That means he completely disagrees with me. Uh, no, I don't completely disagree. <laughs> I, I do agree. I, but, well, but I feel like that, that can inch toward the green glop spinach thing again. Ah, uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Good and, call. And what this I thing you don't want, I'm going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. No, it's just like, oh, here's the really great thing over here, and here's the here's the hair oh, shirt that you should put on instead because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, so you're getting into like moral. Like, well, like guilting yeah, but I'm, what I'm trying to say, I guess what the point I'm trying to make is, I, and I've done a lot of self-reflection about this, and the thing to me that made me passionate about Passive House, right, and about what I do, is that it's part of great design. It's not in place of something else, because I believe that all of that concern like the art, the art of architecture is necessary. If there's no art, what's the point of it? I mean, just build the most, like build the most efficient thing you can get rid of anything extraneous, right? If there's no art, but even that actually, that would be pretty cool. I, that would be very artistic to see the pure, you know I mean? And that's sort of an artist, an architectural pursuit as well. Like, the pure mechanism. But uh, what I want to say is I don't view perf building performance and architecture as two separate things or as two parallel things. I view them as intrinsic and I view, mm -hmm. I view making sure the roof doesn't leak or fall down on your head and that this building performs well on, you know, from an energy standpoint, a comfort standpoint, an indoor air quality standpoint, and a bringing joy standpoint, all mm -hmm. of those, I, those things are all together. And so for me, doing high performance design just means doing the best design that I can. It's not like, oh, I could do this over here, but I'm going to get rid of I'm going to not be concerned about appearance and now I'm going to do this other thing. No, 
It's just how, when I go all in on this, it's everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That That's actually, um, I think we got to the answer is that, uh, actually, I'm thinking of the Vitruvian trident. Um, Vitruvius, I guess you could tell me as an architect, the father of architecture, it's sometimes he's called, but he had fermitas, utilitas, and venustas. Yeah. So fermitas is uh, firmness or strength and it means it has to stay there it has to be durable we could call it durable low maintenance we could call it structural engineering yeah but fundamentally we could call it function (laughs) and then utilitas that is function it's got to be useful it's got to have the right program the right you know floor plan it's got to do so function and then venustas beauty joy it has to help our spirits soar so even the father of architecture is saying function function form and yet formal architecture is is quite prevalent form over function in some ways, right? Massive cantilevers, massive walls of glass. But like, th- there's nothing wrong with those things inherently. And nothing and, wrong inherently. And we respond to those things, right? Like, like, like I, you know, I, like, uh, the Farnsworth house, like Mies van der Rohe's Farnsworth house, mm-hmm. you know, like perhaps yeah. the worst performing home in the United States, quite possibly, but so breathtakingly beautiful, like that it makes me want to weep when I see it. Like I've, I saw it and I took pictures, you know, of people experiencing building yeah. and like walking up on it and it, they were, it would look like an architectural model, like the way that yeah. people were there would be how you would idealize people being somewhere. Yeah. Right? It's like, like walking into I a love, church. Or I love yeah. that thing, but like a disaster from a performance standpoint. And I've almost lost my thread of why I started saying that. Um, oh, it was me function, function form. And you were saying it doesn't have to be a, in it, conflict. But it, you know, and there's beautiful things there. You know, and to say those don't matter or we shouldn't have that. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't build like that. That, like, I'm glad that one exists, but it was miserable to live in from the get-go, and it's not a practical solution. But there are things about it that are astounding, astoundingly beautiful and astoundingly moving um, that, that color what we do now. And I'll even go, I'll go even further into this, and I believe firmly in the art of architecture, you know, that, and I actually think that's quite rare as well, frankly, I think Hmm. there's far more craft of architecture than art of architecture exhibited in the world. That's probably a very apparent and easy thing to say, but uh, aren't they two sides of the same coin to some degree, but I would say for my, they're both necessary, but for my my you mean as a formal you mean as a formal art my differentiator would be the craft the craft of architecture would mean someone could come to me or someone else who's experienced and say design me a home Mm -hmm. and i could do that right because i've done it before i can draw from what i've done before and i can whip something up you know no problem The art of it would be that I would not know 
what the result will be when I start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the difference, right? And this, the craft yeah. would be, hey, I can do that. I did this before. Oh, you want something kind of like the Farnsworth house? Bit, bit, bit. Here you go. The art would right. be more like, okay, we're gonna get, we're gonna try to get in this place, try to get ourselves to this place of divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. We're going to go yeah. into this, into the unknown and come out the other side with something. But, and, but we can't know what that is till we, you know, we get into that. And I think mm-hmm. to, to opine on architectural education, and I'm not an architectural educator, but I think you can tell that I'm, I'm not afraid of speaking on topics that may be out of my depth. But um, I think that a key part of architectural education is learning to solve problems through these design process, right? Like that's how you interpret the world and that's how you solve problems through these, this art. Yeah. I like that metaphor and I'm also looking at our, we're going to start to bring this in for a landing and I have a couple more agendas. I really want to keep going with this art art and craft thing because it moved me. I mean, the listeners can't quite see your facial expressions the way I can, but I think you could hear it. uh, People can hear it that you, when you're speaking about the art of architecture, there's a a true natural reverence in you. And I think it's in everyone that, that experiences architecture. Um, even engineers, and it's what gives the role of architects in society its true power is that there's this communication happening with with something that's deep in us and real and true, and there's a mystery there. You could call it communication with the divine. Um, And then you need to make it real. It needs to be constrained by um, economics, by distribution of energy and resources, you know, the whole thing about the craft and my question about the craft of architecture, thinking about the subject of this podcast was with skillful and effective communication with clients. That's part of the craft too, wouldn't you agree? That might be the most important part. Yeah. I think we arrived at a, kind of like your thing earlier, was the story we're trying to tell and who you're trying to tell it to. So we're trying to talk to architects today and we're trying to tell them the story to, uh, or what would be the story, Graham? I'll ask you. Um, not give up. <laughs> Hell, your well, figure out what it is you want to do. Give yourself mm-hmm. permission to ask for it. Right. I think again, Love I'm going to harken back to my these discussions. I mean, architects in general are fairly notoriously awful at marketing, and I believe part of it is the the architectural education involves these critiques or crit. Mm. So you spend, you'll spend an <laughs> entire semester. Yeah. You spend an entire semester doing this thing. And I don't, I mean, it's I like a hazing don't, ritual. Yeah. I don't see why I think the feedback, I think constructive feedback is amazing. I don't see why it needs to border on sadism and, but some often it does. And I yeah. think, I think what that does is, give people sort of PTSD <laughs> about sticking out, right? Like, I just want to get through this. I want to hide. Wow. I don't want to be exposed 
to wow. this. Wow, talk about in building in change resistance into the practice of I think you're, I think I didn't think school. about that, but yes. And and I think the thing I again I'm it's all of this is a note to self, you know, ten times more than it is to anyone else. But the people that I'm talking to and working with, you know, I say the enemy is not judgment. You know, maybe the enemy was judgment when you were in, you know, studying, but the enemy is apathy. The public, the public or your prospective clients are not out searching for someone to criticize. You know, they're, yeah. they're basically out there looking for someone to connect with. And most of the time that isn't happening. So if you put yourself in the mindset that your enemy is not judgment, but apathy, you know, it's a challenge for certain, but there's some, some degree of freedom in that because barring some outrageously horrible thing you might do, the worst that's going to happen is you're just not going to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And so you put your, put yourself out there, put your story out there. And even that is, you know, even that is a huge challenge to allow yourself to get there and to dig into it and to put that out there and refine it, and refine it. But you just put it out there or even make a fake thing that, you know, if you're afraid, like, oh, I can't put this out in the, in the world right now, then do it in a way where it's like, I'm never going to show that to anybody, but just allow yourself like literally allow yourself to imagine it's exactly what you want to say and exactly what you want to do and start there. And no one, there's, you know, no one is going around like, Oh, I want to find an architect to mock. <laughs> like just, I mean, <laughs> or it, it's not no, going to happen. Like you. you know, you're, you're fr pretty much free to do what you want and you'll know, You'll the only thing you're going to have is no response or, or response or connection. Yeah. So okay. I think mm -hmm. that's how you need to take it. And that's where you need to go. And it's easier said than done, but I'm feeling more and more uh, inspired and confident in that, in my messaging. And I guess I'm going to, are we, I don't know if we're done, but, I was going to No, I have one more little quick thing. I'm going to summarize. And the then one thing I wanted to do is maybe have you or invite people to look at the front page of my website now and like, okay. And look at, there's sort of an intro animation at the top. Beneath, I already know it. I've looked yeah, at it beneath that sort of what is the first takeaway? When you talk, yeah, you're about speaking it. to their emotions. Yeah, but so what is it? What is this thing that I'm saying? Um, not in the animation with the imagery, but just below that. What is the first thing that's being said? And that may change, but right now I think it's pretty to the point, and and it's pretty emotional, and it's of course connected to all of these things we're talking about, but in a in a not obviously linear sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so i opened up the web page yeah. um, and, and i did remember it fairly accurately you're, you're speaking with emotional imagery and language but so read the in, first sentence below that 
Yeah, yeah the future of California. And, and well, yes. that's the tagline, but the sentence. Oh, designing a home is an incredible opportunity. Let's ensure the results are extraordinary. Kapow. Designing a home is an incredible opportunity. Let's ensure the results are extraordinary. Yeah, and it's an, it's an investment of their time, a client's time, money, the earth's resources. I want to get back to the solar and heat thing, but we won't. I just want to two quick things now. We're, we're going to end because you have a stop in about a minute, if I'm yeah. remembering right. But on the comment, the energy, the enemy is not judgment, but apathy, right? So that is so powerful. And you, and you mentioned in the crit, not wanting to stand out. So this thing about being willing to be um, exposed, unguarded, vulnerable, you know, but really live, but really be and present yourself as who you are. These are my actual interests. It's me, it's me expressing my, my life force. That takes courage. And I think people need to be reminded that when you're behaving in a way that takes courage, the emotional tone is fear. If you were not feeling nervous or afraid, then it would not be courage. Yeah. So you don't get to like if, if you're facing a dragon and, you know, Conan or whatever with the sword, he can either be in denial or delusion or having courage. Yeah. But come coming back now. So that's just my little. Uh, can I just jump one thing on that? Because that please. Yeah. Yeah. If you have time, I have time. My friend. So. Yeah. And I also love this because it brings it back full circle. Good. Being in that place where you're open and vulnerable and being courageous toward your prospective clients who I said at the beginning are open and vulnerable and being courageous to even approach mm. you with this precious thing of their home. Mm. And this just occurred to me as you were saying that, I mean, isn't that connect, isn't that empathy and isn't that truly connecting on the same level? Yeah. And that just, what you said made me think that, but that that's reaching people where they are when they come to you. I don't know. That seems like a beautiful place to end. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And thank you again for this. I could do this all day long. That was really good. I'm, I'm actually going to go one more second because I took notes as we were talking to answer the question. And so your answer to the question although you just answered it beautifully there is, is it, it this deep, that's a spiritual thing, what you just described, or at least a deeply resonant mammalian limbic system, something happening. But the answer that I heard was something like, I've put a lot of thought and reflection and even contemplation into my role as your architect and my role in society as an architect. And this is what's important to me is that you have a high quality lived experience in the home. And that it, that means it's gonna be comfortable, it's gonna be healthy, it's gonna be quiet. It's gonna feel like the shelter that, it, that you want it to be. And you're not gonna have, you're gonna have this secondary layer of security because we're gonna make resilient energy and water systems implicit in it. It's gonna be grid interactive, all electric, electrified. We're also gonna build in reducing the impact of resources and energy from the environment for the life of the home with you. And you get to have that joy. And all of this is in the context of the, the larger joy of just beauty, this beautiful functional asset for yourself and your family for the long term. Right. So boom, <laughs> that's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Graham Irwin, my bog brother.
<laughs> I love that. Boom. Yeah. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you so much, Graham, Thanks. for sharing yourself again. And uh, thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.